After a breakout season in 2022, Nathaniel Lowe took a step back offensively in 2023. On today's show, I'm talking about why he is due for a breakout offensive season again in 2024, and if Jordan Montgomery could come back to the Rangers on a pillow deal. Talk about all that and more on this episode of Locked On Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked On Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked onto the World Series champion Texas Rangers. I'm Bryce Paddock, a cripplingly addicted Texas Rangers fan, covering this team for 10 seasons, including all five as the founder and host of this podcast. Thank you all so much for making this your first listen every single day. If you're not already, you can follow me on Twitter at Bryce Paddock. You can follow the show at Locked On Rangers. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and on YouTube, where the best way you can help grow the show is to comment nearly any single thing below. Now, before we get into what Nathaniel Lowe needs to do to have a breakout season again in 2024 and about Jordan Mc. Montgomery possibly coming back on a pillow deal. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use code LOCKEDON for $20 off your first purchase. Now, the Rangers have a gold glover, a silver slugger, a World Series champion at first base in Nathaniel Lowe. The 28-year-old is coming off a massively improved defensive season that was some of the, the most improvement I've ever seen in any aspect of any player's game from one season to another. I, I think it was nothing short of astounding how much better Nathaniel Lowe's glove got last year. And I think that is a huge testament to him as a person, to the coaching staff, to his work ethic, to the dedication he has to being the best at every aspect of his game. And even though his bat took a little bit of a step back last year, the defensive improvement was noticeable at a glaring level. It was just so obvious in 2022 that he was honestly terrible and truly terrible defensively at first base. And and Nathaniel Lowe would be the first one to tell you that my defense was not good enough in 2022. But in 2023, he won a gold glove for defense at first base, and it was completely earned. A lot of times gold gloves go to guys who just happen to hit well that season. Like, all right, I don't know. I guess we'll throw out a gold glove to this guy. But the improvement that Nathaniel Lowe made and in scooping balls, in his range, in um, throwing decisions, every single aspect of his defense got impossibly better in 2023. But the bat took a bit of a step back. Back in 2022, he was, I'd say, pretty unquestionably the Rangers' best offensive player for 2022. Now, Corey Seager did have a few more home runs than him. Corey Seager was also an all-star. Um, Adoles Garcia had a pretty solid season. And, you know, Marcus Simeon, after that horrendous first couple of months, really, you know, took it up a level down the stretch. But no one had a better second half than Nathaniel Lowe, maybe in all of baseball. I mean, the post-all-star break numbers that he put together, it really buoyed what was at that point an okay season i mean in the first half he had a 752 ops which is you know fine hitting around 270 slugging in or in the 430s it was it was fine but in the 72 games just over 300 plate appearances after the all-star break in 2022 the man was on a mission he was on fire like you have rarely seen a player and for 
a 72-game stretch. It was not just a couple days, a couple games, a couple series, a couple months. It was the entire second half. He hit three, nearly 340, then on base one point below 400, slugged 566, a 964 OPS in those 301 plate appearances with 15 bombs. And you thought, okay, this is the Nathaniel Lowe that the Rangers saw when they traded for him. This is the guy who they thought, yeah, this is a first division starter. This is a guy who can hit lefties, who can hit righties, who can hit for power, who's got a great batting eye, a great uh, great swing decisions, just very patient hitter, and all the raw pop in the world. And I remember that majestic home run he hit at Coors Field, which wasn't just buoyed by it being Coors Field. He absolutely got a freaking hold of one. And when Nathaniel Lowe gets a hold of one, that thing goes a long, long way. He is a very patient hitter by his nature, but sometimes too patient to a fault. In 2022, the reason why I think he had so much success is because he was a lot more aggressive. He wasn't afraid to strike out, wasn't as afraid to expand the zone. He did walk at a significantly lower clip than he was used to in his career. He walked 7.4% of the time in 2022, where his career average for walk rate is 10.8%. Now, that is more the hitter Nathaniel Lowe is. And this year, that walk rate jumped way, 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 way back up all the way up to 12.8%, the highest walk rate of his career, top 10% of baseball in walk rate this year. But the barrel percentage, the hard hit percentage, the average exit velocity, expected batting average, expected slugging percentage, all of those were were down pretty significantly this year. I mean, all of those were in the top 30% of baseball outside of barrel percentage, which he was two points shy of top 30% of baseball. And uh, he hit over 300 for the full season because of those amazing second half numbers. But the guy was, you know, balancing being a patient hitter while unloading and doing damage, which is what you want your first baseman to do. I mean, this guy is is someone who's going to hopefully hit in the middle of this lineup. I don't think he's going to be hitting third nearly as much this coming year as he did uh, in 2023. But I could be entirely wrong. I think this is a year that Nathaniel Lowe kind of puts marries those two approaches together and finally finds the best of both worlds. Because for the most part, it was it was a bit of a rough go of it for him offensively in 2023. The postseason was not friendly to him. I mean, it was it was a really rough postseason for him. Did have three home runs, including a majestic justice-serving shot to Jose Abreu, or excuse me, Brian Abreu. He did not hit a home run off of Jose Abreu. He hit one off of Brian Abreu after... Brian Abreu was not suspended for hitting El Bombi and then proceeded to hit Mitch Garver in Game 7. And Nathaniel Lowe said, that, that's enough of that, Mr. Abreu. I'm going to deposit this one into the right field and make this an absolute route of a Game 7 as opposed to mostly a route of a Game 7. And he also had a game-tying home run off of Justin Verlander in the ALCS. He had a solid uh, ALCS showing in those seven games, he had a slash line of 259, 310, 519 with two of his three home runs in the postseason. The other one coming against Baltimore in that game three, where you could just see the weight lifted off of his shoulders with that home run. I thought that was going to really lead to more of a breakout for the remainder of this postseason, but it didn't quite happen. It was, is it okay? Pretty solid ALCS showing. And the World Series was just really rough for him. I mean, hitting below 200 with an on base of just 300 and a 
OPS of 535. That's not the Nathaniel Lowe that the Rangers know. That's not the Nathaniel Lowe that hit third for the vast majority of this past season. That's not the guy who the Rangers trusted to be the insurance behind Corey Seager of, okay, you can't just pitch around Corey Seager every single time up during the regular season when he was having that historically good season because Nathaniel Lowe is there and he's going to do some damage. And one of the reasons why he was so good in 2022 and not as much so in 2023 is how he fared against lefties. <clears throat> now, back in 2022, he had nearly 200 plate appearances in the season against lefties, had a 330 batting average and a 920 OPS. The dude absolutely destroyed lefties in 2022. And that wasn't as much the case. He actually hit better against lefties than he did against righties. 103 point higher OPS against lefties than against righties in 2022. Now this past season, that was not the case. He kind of regressed against lefties. He didn't hit nearly as well against lefties as he did the year before. He had an 833 OPS against righties this year, this past year, and a 642 OPS against lefties. And on base, just at 311, a slugging percentage under 350. That's not Nathaniel Lowe that was doing damage and going on that historic run in the second half. That is not Nathaniel Lowe that the Rangers traded for and saw and knew could hit lefties and could hit high premium velocity. Those are the two biggest questions about him, as well as his defense and why the Rays said, all right, we'll keep his brother Josh, but uh, this Nathaniel Lowe, he can go. We'll take a Slavis Basabe and a couple other prospects who I don't think any of the other prospects made the major leagues just yet. But the Rangers saw this, this ability in Nathaniel Lowe, and for that second half of 2022, he really showed off. Come here, we're going to talk about why it is so rare to have a gold glove and silver slugger first baseman, how many other contemporaries are there, and what else needs to happen for Nathaniel Lowe to be another middle-of-the-order bat that can recreate that historic, fantastic second half of 2022, right after this word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by GameTime. You shouldn't have to worry about buying tickets to your next big event, because GameTime is the fast and easy way to buy all the tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, GameTime takes all the guesswork out of buying tickets. They've got something for everybody, all kinds of different events you want to go to. If you're wanting to go out to a Mavericks game, I believe they start back up their post-All-Star break tonight. Also, the Stars are doing pretty darn well. If you want to go out and, and, and check out a Stars game, there's plenty of concerts coming through here. Or, if you're heading out to spring training in Arizona, games start tomorrow you can check out all the best way to get your tickets it's so easy so hassle-free take the guesswork out of buying tickets and go to game time the game time app create an account and use code locked on for twenty dollars off your first purchase terms apply again create an account and redeem code l-o-c-k-e-d-o-n for twenty dollars off download game time today last minute tickets lowest price guaranteed Shout out to the Everydayers making Lockdown Rangers your first listen every single day. On tomorrow's show, we'll be talking about what we learned from the Rangers' first week of spring training. Now, Nathaniel Lowe is a gold glover and a silver slugger at first base, which there are not a lot of whole, a whole lot of guys in Major League Baseball who have done that the past couple years. I think that Nathaniel Lowe's greatness is, is often underappreciated because he is not the flashiest player, because he is not you know, putting up you know, monster, monster numbers. I mean, he did have that monster second half, but uh, it has been 
kind of quiet improvement. But just having a guy who has a gold glove and at least one silver slugger at first base, here are the active players that have that. There's Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Nathaniel Lowe. That's a short list. That is a very, very short list. And I'm kind of surprised that Freddie Freeman has a gold glove. That might be one of those that was just kind of doled out there. Like, all right, Freddie's hitting pretty well this season, so let's let's give him a gold glove because somehow, somehow that is the, uh, the logic behind that sometimes. But it is a short list of guys who are elite with the glove and with the bat. And Nathaniel Lowe is, you look at the rest of these guys, and they are high-priced free agents, high-priced, very expensive guys on big old deals. Freddie Freeman, Matt Olson, Paul Goldschmidt. Vladdy is still in arbitration, but he's making like $20 million this year as a, what, 24-year-old, I believe. But if you look at the war for the last couple of years of third baseman combined, Nathaniel Lowe is seventh among guys who primarily play first base. They did include, uh, Fangraphs did include Luis Arias, Brandon Drury, and Jake Cronenworth as primary first baseman, but those guys have not been primary first baseman for the last couple of seasons. Nathaniel Lowe has. Here are the guys with a higher Fangraphs war than him the last couple of seasons at first base. Freddie Freeman, Paul Goldschmidt, Matt Olson, Yanni Diaz, Christian Walker, and Pete Alonso. Nathaniel Lowe is getting the respect he deserves by making that top one MLB's top 100 players right now. I I would very strongly have recommended that Jonah Heim be a little higher in that list than Nathaniel Lowe, because having a switch hitting catcher who hits for power and is an absolute monster defensively, I think provides a little bit more value than a pretty darn good two-way first baseman. That's not to discredit Nathaniel Lowe to say he doesn't deserve being in top 100. Yeah, I think he absolutely does. It's more about Jonah Heim. Go listen to yesterday's episode to hear that whole spiel about why Jonah Heim is so freaking good. But Nathaniel Lowe is, is so freaking good as well. And one of the things that I like about Nathaniel Lowe is the quality of his at-bats. And I think that's something that gets overlooked because it is it's difficult to quantify you can quantify the the swing decisions that he makes, the amount of times he expands his own, the amount of times he's able to foul off borderline pitches, the amount of close pitches that he takes that are out of the strike zone and works those walks. But just the length and quality of bets, there's not really a specific stat to track to say, oh yeah, this was a good at bat. You know, we got down 0-2, fouled off a couple pitches, took a couple pitches, worked a full count, and then, you know, lined out to the second baseman on like an eight pitch at bat. That goes down as, you know, an L6-4, L4 um, in the stat sheet. But the quality of at bat, the pitches, the pitches that he saw and the pitches that everybody else was able to see in the lineup, that's a difficult thing to quantify. And I think that's why, even with the numbers being where they were last year for Nathaniel Lowe, I think that's why he stayed hitting third in this lineup for the vast majority of this season. Now, he wasn't hitting third in the postseason because the Rangers really, really needed just a lot more Corey Seager insurance in the playoffs. The T 
teams were a lot more willing to just completely avoid him at all costs as we saw what Baltimore did in game two of that series when I think he got what two Corey Seager got two pitches in the strike zone that entire game two um he worked what five walks could have been four I think it was four walks and could have been five or six if he hadn't been a little aggressive just to get a pitch to swing at but I think that he could definitely slot back into the middle of this lineup where exactly that is I don't think it really matters as much whether he's hitting third again, I think that's probably going to be Adoles Garcia. If, if it were me, I'd probably still have Marcus Simeon batting leadoff. And Seager obviously feels great hitting second. And then I think having El Bombe hitting third, I think that's a solid choice. And and with the addition of Evan Carter, who knows where he's going to slot in um, and where the Rangers are going to end up putting Haim and Young. It is a very complex, difficult puzzle. But I think somewhere in the middle third to maybe seventh is where Lowe is going to hit. And having a guy with his potential hitting in that middle third of your order, that is what makes this lineup so dangerous. There's not a whole lot of pressure on Thano Lowe to go out and have that you know 950 OPS for the full season that he did in that second half in 2022. That's not what the Rangers are asking. I don't even think they're going to be asking him to have an 850 OPS, which is what he did for the full season in 2022, including that okay first half. I think somewhere around 800 to 850 OPS is, is what the Rangers are hoping for from him. And having him in that middle third to maybe maybe even bottom third of your lineup kind of shows the depth of how good this team is and how there's not really a whole lot of pressure on Nathaniel Lowe to force things to you know try and expand the zone not by being more aggressive on pitches that he likes that are maybe borderline but just trying to do do more stuff for the sake of doing more stuff and it was a long long season for Nathaniel Lowe last year playing in 161 games I kind of ended up forgetting that oh yeah Nathaniel Lowe is just playing every single day and we give a lot of Credit and publicity to Marcus Simeon at age 32, playing 162 games and then playing all 17 postseason games, and rightly so, setting that record for the most plate appearances combined in a regular season and postseason combined. It is a valuable thing to get from your leadoff guy. But Nathaniel Lowe was in there all but one game, and think about this Rangers roster construction. There, there is a lot of good bats on the bench and if the Rangers are missing some time from Josh Young and Corey Seager if that extends into the regular season which I'm not thinking hoping it's not the case um, but there's not a whole lot of backup first basemen on this roster the amount of guys that have spent time at first base is fairly limited in fact when you have 161 games from your first baseman who did not DH a single game last year I thought there would be more DH games from Nathaniel Lowe last year, but nope, that was not the case. 161 games, all of them at first base. The only one he didn't play, that was when Ezekiel Duran played first base. And as of this point, he's pretty much the only one on this roster that has time as a first baseman. And I think it might just be that one game at the big league level. There might be some games in the minor leagues where Zeke Duran played um, first base. But uh, for the most part, yeah, okay, two games. 10 innings. So one inning outside of that one game that he played, um, that was played, that first base was occupied by anyone other than Nathaniel Lowe. Just 10 innings the entire season where it was someone else besides Nathaniel Lowe at first base. Now, there might be have been someone else who played a couple innings here or there for Lowe, but I don't think there was. I'm pretty sure he was just as much Iron Manning it as Marcus Simeon. 
But I think this is going to be a good season for Nathaniel Lowe because the rest of the lineup is so deep, because they are adding in an Evan Carter for a full season, because they are adding in a White Langford probably for the full season, because there's not a whole lot on the 40-man roster behind him. Unless Justin Foster goes absolutely nuclear, which I don't particularly see happening this spring training, and Nathaniel Lowe is going to be the first baseman for maybe 162 games this year. Maybe he'll dial it down to 159 and have Zeke Duran play a couple games, and maybe Foscue comes up and plays a couple games at first base. But it is pretty much Nathaniel Lowe's position because when you're looking at first base prospects on the horizon, well, first base prospects obviously is usually an oxymoron because there's not a whole lot of prospects that hit well enough to be a prospect as a first baseman. But there's an Abi Melik Ortiz on the horizon. I don't see him overtaking Lowe anytime soon. Nathaniel Lowe has three more seasons under contract, and he is a very solid contributor, a very under-the-radar, solid two-to-three-win regular at first base. And even though it's not the sexiest position, it's not you know prime Prince Fielder or prime Mark Shera, Nathaniel Lowe is a darn good player that is an important part of this lineup. And I think if he has a breakout year this year, this offense could go to unforeseen heights with a big year from Nathaniel Lowe. Coming up, we're going to talk about Jordan Montgomery possibly taking a pillow deal, what that would look like, and why there are still so many free agents on this market. Right after this word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Get buckets with your first bet on FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 bet. It's 150 bucks if your bet wins. They've got all kinds of different uh, MLB player specials right now. If you're wanting to bet on who is going to lead Major League Baseball in home runs right now, the favorite is Aaron Judge plus 420. They do have a couple Rangers on there that are, I'd say, pretty low on this list. I mean, Adoles Garcia is at plus five or four thousand. He is below uh, Mike Trout. He is above. Bryce Harper, which is a little surprising. You want to bet on Corey Seager to lead Major League Baseball in home runs. He's at plus 6,500. Or if you're wanting to go with an even bigger long shot, uh, all the way down to Marcus Simeon at plus 20,000. That's that's a pretty solid odd, I'd say, about Marcus Simeon. I mean, I don't know if he's going to lead the league in home runs, but you know he's had some pretty darn big home run seasons. And I mean, who knows what he's going to be primed for coming off of his first ever World Series championship. So just visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and shoot your shot. FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NBA. Shout out to the Everyday Rangers for making Lockdown Rangers your first listen every single day on tomorrow's show. I'll be, or on, yeah, after, after the first game of the spring training season i'll have another episode for you late friday or i guess afternoon and or maybe it'll be early on saturday so be sure to check that out talking about dane dunning's first start of the spring and what else we are going to see from that first spring training game we are almost there we are so close you can taste it to spring training games and then before you know it it'll be the regular season but even though games start tomorrow, actually games start today, the first spring training game, even though the Raiders game is not today, Dodgers, and Padres spring training happening probably a little bit after this episode releases. So we are finally back. Games are happening, but there are still so many big free agents on the market, including the Rangers number one target, at least in my estimation, in my hope and thoughts and prayers, Jordan Montgomery is still a free agent. At this point, 11.09 Central Time on February 22nd. I keep having my tabs open just to see if the news breaks in the middle of me recording these episodes. Uh, I have not 
that has not happened so far. But this tweet from Evan Grant last night uh, of the Dallas Morning News gave me some pause, gave me some uh, some intrigue. It feels like the first you know new information about a Jordan Montgomery deal of any kind that we've seen, and even though it's not particularly news per se. Evan Grant tweeted this at 7.06 p.m. Uh, last night, Wednesday night. He said, uh, quote, we grow ever closer to a, quote, pillow contract with every passing day. If Monty gets to a point of, say, two-year with opt-out after one, becomes far more realistic. End of tweet. Now, that was not something that I thought would happen for Jordan Montgomery. I, I thought that he would be, once the top two pitchers in the market and by top two pitchers, I mean Yamamoto and Shohei Otani. Once I thought those guys were off the market, I, I was pretty sure some would come in hot with a big old offer sheet for, for Jordan Montgomery. He is a guy who projects as a, probably a number three starter, uh, maybe a number two, I think a solid one B for a playoff rotation that the Rangers used to win the world series. Um, but you'd kind of feel a little bit better if he is your number three. Uh, we saw the heights of what Jordan Montgomery can be with the Rangers last year during the regular season and during the playoffs. I mean, he was a 2.1 baseball reference for a player in 11 starts. He was very, very good for the Rangers in the regular season. Not spectacular, but very good. A sub three ERA in nearly 68 innings. Not a whole lot of strikeouts, not a whole lot of walks, not a whole lot of hard contact but a solid, fairly durable, healthy, reliable, middle irritation pitcher. And there's a lot of teams out there that could still use that, which is why I'm confused that he hasn't taken a deal just yet. I mean, there's still four really big free agents out there on the market. Obviously, the big four are, uh, you know, Gene Segura, Will Myers, uh <laughs> Uh, Kike Hernandez and J.D. Martinez. No, no. The big four are obviously guys who I think are still probably going to get at least, I don't know if all these guys are going to get $100 million, but at the start of the offseason, I thought for sure in, you know, Matt Chapman, in Cody Bellinger, in Blake Snell, and Jordan Montgomery. If you'd asked me at the start of the season, the offseason, I would have thought, yeah, absolutely. All those guys are getting at least $100 million, if not at least $125 million. But that does not appear to be the case. And I don't think all four of these guys are represented by Boris. I know that Monty is. I know that um, Chapman and uh, Pollock are. Maybe Blake Snell is too. I'm not entirely sure. But all these players are, are fairly good major league players. They're not perfect. No major league player is. But they are very good players that could help a whole lot of teams. And it's not just the Rangers that are saying, all right, we're 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 good on giving these guys five-year deals. I feel like maybe the Rangers would have tried to work in some some opt-outs, some deferrals with a Montgomery deal. I'm, I've got to imagine that they're still staying in contact, and it, it still feels like the most obvious fit in the entire world of just bringing Jordan Montgomery back on, it seems like he's asking for five years and probably about $20 million a year. And if you asked me at the start of the offseason, I, I would have done that in a heartbeat of five years, $100 million total for Monty. Done deal. Why has that not been done? But it seems like even an offer like that, 
I thought the spot track pr- projection for what Montgomery was going to make was incredibly low. It's at um, six years and about $18 million a year. So that's, I think, $118 million is is what he's projected to make. Yeah, uh, six years, $110 million was what the spot track projection was. And I thought there's there's no way it's that low. There, there's no way someone doesn't come in and blow him away with an offer of, you know, six years, 150 million or five years, $125 million. Like that, that just felt like an inevitability after what he just did during the playoffs. Cause we all saw it. We all saw him go insane against some of the best lineups in baseball. I mean, he absolutely shut down that Astros lineup in all three games. He pitched in the two starts and the game seven appearance out of the bullpen. He wasn't that great against the Orioles, but you know, it was a weird game where he was having to sit for a long, long time because the Rangers were dropping a bazillion runs on the Orioles and Grayson Rodriguez in that game, too. But he was lights out against the Rays. He was absolutely dominant against the Rays in the wildcard game, those seven shutout innings and that amazing diving catch at a crucial, crucial moment. And he was the Rangers' co-ace on their run to their first ever World Series. I honestly don't understand why a deal hasn't been done, what little nitpicky arguments are happening. And it seems like all around Major League Baseball, all these different teams are saying, yeah, no, we're good. We actually don't want to sign any of these top free agents. I mean, I get the the drawbacks for Blake Snell, even though he is a two-time Cy Young winner, even though he is coming off an absolutely insane last four-month season. I mean, basically from May to the end of the year, he was just, unhittable you just could not get hits off of him you could not square him up and he was striking out everybody and their mother but you know he is a flawed player in those other seasons where he hasn't won the Cy Young he has been you know questionable but Matt Chapman is about as solid as they come he's gonna be a you know three to four win player it seems like pretty much every year defense still really darn good still hits the ball really well he's hitting it on the ground a little bit much but he still hits the ball fairly hard and provides a lot of value there's a lot of teams that could use an upgrade at third base. Not the Rangers. I don't think they're going to be on him. And Cody Bellinger is just such a weird case with, you know, his MVP past and immediate fall off to what seems like recovery and a really solid year last year. The Cubs could absolutely use him on their team. And they're not even that high in their payroll. And they have a very winnable division. And even they are saying, hmm, I think we're good on dishing out a you know six-year, $150 million contract, however much um, Cody Bellinger is going to make. And it's just such a peculiar place to be at with free agency, with these big, big stars. I mean, we've seen it to where some of these guys go pretty pretty decently for, far on into spring training where they are still unsigned. But to have four guys of this caliber still unsigned is just a questionable decision i think and a real statement about how uncertain and how nervous these mlb owners are about the future of their tv contracts i think it's very overblown and i think it's really annoying and i've said it about a million times that the strategy the rangers got to get them here is spending money on free agents when other teams wouldn't i think not bringing back montgomery is going away from that strategy if they have that big of concerns about monty holding up for the long term which i think are overblown it might end up looking like a bad deal in the back half of the contract but that's basically every free agent deal that's how they work some of them are not going to hit 
having both of your biggest contracts in Simeon and Seeger, well, I guess DeGrom was a little bit more than, than Simeon, but having your two biggest position player free agent contract, basically the only position players you spent big on, both of them work out to a T, finish second and third in MVP voting, only to Shohei Otani doing Shohei Otani things, you got to feel pretty good about where you are and that that is a winning strategy. They won you the World Series. So get on the phone, get a peel deal done, get a big deal done, get whatever deal done before somebody scoops up Jordan Montgomery. And if there is, God forbid, an injury to this rotation in spring training, I think there's no way this team could avoid going and spending big on Montgomery, whatever the tax implications are, whatever the other implications are, because he's still out there. So go get this freaking deal done, pillow or otherwise. I want my World Series hero back in Arlington. That's going to do it for today's show. Thank you all so much for listening and subscribing. And until next time, don't forget to enjoy World Series champion Texas Rangers baseball.